Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Media and Worship, Susan Alloway. There is no righteousness, not even one. There was no one who understands. There was no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is it God, the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith? Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Karen. I really appreciate it. So as we start, I want to go back and review right quick. Because we are now in the fourth week of the book of Romans. And Romans, when people received it, it was not chunked up in these little these little chunks, um, like we're doing to do sermons, it was a letter and it was read start to finish. So that's why I want to review so that we can all be on the same page of where we've been so we can move forward. So in week one, Gary said, God is up to something and it's bigger than you think. There's this unconditional love that God has unleashed on his creation and it won't stop until it makes all things new. So that was week one. Week two, Ian came in and he said that God's grace is big enough. And he asked the question, is yours? 
Other people do some pretty icky stuff, but we do some pretty icky stuff too. So can we love others like God loves them and loves us? Then in week three, Gary came back and he said that we are under God, not the other way around. So as such, we don't stand over our neighbor and tell them and sell them God. Instead, we stand under God with our neighbor and we walk humbly toward Jesus together. So that's where we've been. Now we are in week four, chapter three. And this week, I want to take a bit of a detour. I struggled to write this sermon because the passage of scripture is simple enough, but it glosses over a vocab word that causes a lot of debate among Christian circles. That word being atonement. Parsing out the theological concept of atonement is not what this passage is about. However, it would be good for all of us to have the same concept of that word so that we don't miss the punch that this passage does have. For the purpose of this sermon, I'm going to call the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, all the commands in scripture, I'm going to call that the laws of love. So anytime you hear me say the laws of love, that's what I'm talking about. All the commandments in scripture. Okay. So atonement. In ancient times, the laws of love were given to Jewish people so that they would know what sin looks like and be able to explain it to others. It was never meant to be a way to earn God's favor or to prove to God that you were good enough. The laws of love were given so that people would have something to acknowledge their feelings when they were hurting. Something that confirmed, yes, these are bad ways to treat people, so let's not. But I want us to remember, like these laws of love, they were given to a people group who had been slaves for generations. And as such, they needed to relearn how to be a community of love. They needed to learn what love looked like, hence those commandments. Now let's talk about what happened when people broke the laws of love. I'm gonna use stealing as an example. In today's world, if my neighbor's son sneaks into my house in the middle of the night and steals several things, which happened, and the next day the police and I find out that he did it, my neighbor's son goes to jail and I'm out over $1,000, which I needed. And from then on, my neighbor's family and my family feel awkward around each other. Needless to say, it ruined relationship. All the things that God says don't do in the Ten Commandments are things that ruin relationship. They ruin community. So as a guard against that, God creates a system of atonement a public way of seeking reconciliation with God and with others if you damaged those relationships. This system is also a little gruesome and it's an added deterrent against sin. What you had to do was take an animal, 
Now, animals were not pets, they were living resources. You could buy a lamb today in the US for around $100. So you would take that $100 from your flock or you would buy an animal and you would turn it over to the priest. You're essentially paying a fine, but a fine that has blood and feels pain. So because you did something that hurt someone else, you took their property and made it harder for them to live their life, you have to pay a fine. Paying this living fine shows that you admit your guilt and it touches on one's ideas of fairness. You're out something and now I'm out something and so we're even. But the animal, your $100 lamb, doesn't just go hang out in the pasture and belong to the priest now. The lamb, who's probably only a year old, is slaughtered in front of you. It dies on the altar, its pain and life and potential pulsing out of the gash in its neck as its blood runs down the altar and stretches into a pool toward your feet. You watch as its eyes go dull, and then you leave, hoping never to have to do it again. The sacrificial system was gruesome for a reason. A lot of the time when we go about our day, we're completely unaware of how our actions affect other people. And yet everything we do connects to the world community around us, how we dispose of our trash, where our products come from, how we speak about people who disagree with us on the internet. If we had to watch an animal die slowly every time we said how much we hated so-and-so politician, we might be more likely to keep our mouths shut. Or at least that was the thought. But we see throughout the Old Testament, by the time we get to the prophets, that God is so sick of bloodshed on altars. Instead of the sacrifices being a deterrent, we see that the sacrifices multiply and you only have to sacrifice when you sin. So apparently the sin is increasing, not decreasing. Other nations around them who followed other religious practices, they believed that their gods demanded blood sacrifices to be appeased. People in those nations would kill their own children in order to secure a good future. So the Jewish people hear about that idea and they start to believe that our God craves blood that the animal's blood is pleasing to God. But this is what God tells them in Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is the people that Jesus is born into. They know the laws of love. They know the sacrificial system. They know what Isaiah says about it. So when we arrive in chapter three of Paul's letter and he mentions that Jesus was presented as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, everyone hearing it would have known what it meant and felt the weight of it. Whether they were conservative Jews, liberal Jews, Gentiles being grafted into Judaism or Gentiles saying, hey, you don't really have to do that stuff anymore they all still would have been familiar with the idea of sacrifice and atonement. As such, Paul says that Jesus is our sacrifice of atonement, the sacrifice for our sins, the lamb who was slain to bring both Jews and Gentiles back to God. Last week, Gary translated it into Christian versus non-Christian and that there's no difference. Christians have no right to feel cool just because we're Christians. Knowing the rules and being part of the club, it doesn't save us from ourselves. It doesn't keep us from hurting others and it doesn't keep us from hurting ourselves. It doesn't magically make us unselfish or perfect doesn't even make us want to spend all our time with God, sadly. Knowing the rules and being a part of the club is great. It's good for us. But it's Jesus's grace that saves us from ourselves. Just like it's Jesus's grace that saves everyone else from themselves. For the Jewish people being in the club knowing the laws of love, having the added deterrent of animal sacrifices still mattered. That culture still mattered. But like us, it's Jesus's grace that saves. That's what this passage is all about. All people, no matter their background, having faith in the grace of Jesus, who is the ultimate doer of the laws of love. He is the laws of love. Jesus was there in the beginning when all of creation was made and love was even invented. Now back to atonement. As I already said, this passage does not dwell on the word atonement. Paul doesn't dwell on it because Paul's audience would have understood it. But we are not in Paul's original audience, and we have come through centuries of this passage being used in weird ways. So it's worth unpacking some of the baggage that many of us have probably collected throughout the years. Here's bag number one. Total depravity. I'm not touching that. Let's do bag number two. 
Bag number two, God had to kill his one and only baby because we are the worst. I'm not touching that one either. Go to the next slide. If you guys have questions about those, please go to the Romans Bible study on Thursday at 7.30 at the mill and you can take it up with Gary. Let's go to our third bag. God is angry. This bag I want to sift through. I read an article once about how people tend to see God as either loving and therefore warm and welcoming or angry and therefore frightening and hateful. One or the other, not both. The people who see God as angry read scripture and they can find enough evidence. They find it in the words atonement and sin and condemnation we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. But the people who see God as loving, they read scripture and they can find enough evidence too. God is a tender mother longing to gather up her chicks. God is Jesus reaching a hand out and saying, neither do I condemn you. God is Emmanuel, God with us standing on a mountain, imploring us to do the hard thing and love our enemies. If you don't know whether you see God as angry or loving, I'm gonna read two different images from scripture. I want you to pay attention to how they make you feel. The first one is from Malachi. But who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. The second image is from John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. Jesus is the one who refines us like gold and who prunes us like a vine. If you see God as angry, you probably picked up on the fire imagery in both of these passages. You might've felt afraid, afraid of God's anger, afraid you aren't good enough, afraid that you'll be one of the ones thrown away and burned. If you see God as loving, you probably picked up on the relationship imagery of these passages. You might have been happy about being compared to something as precious as gold and as fragrant and delightful as the abundance of fruit. I'm here to proclaim that God is loving. And God is also angry just maybe not in the same way as you think. 
When you refine gold and silver, you heat them to the point that the pure gold or silver melts away and the solid dross floats on top and can be taken out. The dross is taken out because it's quite simply not part of the gold and silver. When we are refined like gold, it's not God keeping some of us and throwing the others away. It's God taking each of us and clearing away that the ick that has settled inside each of us over time. All the hurt that we've suffered, all the bitterness or the envy that we carry, all the fear and mistrust that we harbor deep down, that is the dross that Jesus will refine away so that each of us is truly the beautiful, lovely thing that God created us to be. When you prune trees, it's the same. Even Each of us knows that there are parts of our character that could probably be worked on. I wouldn't mind personally if Christ trimmed away my little stem of anxiety or my gnarled roots of anger and impatience. But even in this analogy, when I trim a tree, the scraps get burned in a fire as fuel to warm chilly fingers and cheer the hearts of friends whom I love. Sometimes even our dross and clipped sins can be used to encourage those dealing with similar issues. Sure, God is angry. Any parent who sees their children trapped in self-hurt and injustice would be. But it's an anger that stems from the truest love and concern a love that holds your hand and makes you stronger as it changes you. I wanna leave you with the lyrics to a song by John Foreman. I'm gonna play the whole song after this. Um, and it's taken directly from Micah chapter seven. But this particular part stands out in light of what I've said so far. No, don't gloat over me. For though I fall, though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit here in darkness, the Lord, the Lord alone, he will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me for the wrongs I've done against him. And after that, he'll take my case bringing me to light and to justice for all that I have suffered. God is the Lord of all people and lavishly offers grace to all who dare take it. God has been and always will be in the business of making a way for people to come back to God. If we have caused harm, it will rightfully be refined and pruned away so that others might have justice, but the Lord will also defend us, 
give us justice and make us new. Because Jesus is the law of love. We're gonna listen to this song. As the Lord, 
punishes me for the wrongs I've done against him. After that, he'll take my case, bringing me to light and justice for all I have suffered. And both of his hands are equally skilled at ruining evil, equally skilled at judging the judges, equally skilled at ministering justice. Both of his hands, both of his hands are equally skilled at showing me mercy. Equally skilled at loving the lovers. Equally skilled at ministering justice. Both of his hands, both of his hands. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.